Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Greetings, all you intellectuals, conversationalists, and overall risk-takers to the Omega Particle Podcast. It is your cute, harmless little fuzzball, Jonathan Wiegand, and today is finally the freaking day. Picard Season 3 has finally premiered, and after kind of a lackluster season, we're left with a lot of questions, and it finally looks like we're going to get some answers. So I've noticed in the promotion that they are really pushing the final season, the final season. So no more after this. I know there was a rumor that, hey, maybe this is going to continue on, season four, season five, whatever. But no, I guess this is it. Knock on wood. And I say good, maybe potential movie or something like that. I'd, I'd definitely be more interested in than, you know, continuing on because as we know, the season three plan was the plan from the beginning. This was always the arc that these characters were going to go on. And so I think to change that would be disastrous in all shapes and sizes, just like Wolf 359. And it was not an inside job. So obviously this is spoilers. If you have not watched the first episode of season three, or if you have not watched season two, please stop listening and go watch it. You do not want to have this ruined. So for the first two seasons, you know, we, we've heard from the showrunners, producers, even Sir Patrick Stewart himself, hey, the only reason I wanted to sign up for this series is we are not going to have a quote-unquote rehash, reunion of the next generation. It's going to be a new Picard, and we're going to have new adventures, and it's not going to be, you know, just a re- reunion. And now that's exactly what we have with this first episode. It's And this whole season, really, it's nothing but a reunion. And I think it was smart to kind of get those first two seasons and story and character depth out of the way. And now we can have some fun with this uh, supposed reunion that was supposed to happen. We'll get into I'm not super happy about that. And I mean, yeah, sure, like we know there were some reunions in the first two seasons. I mean, it had some surprise cameos once in a while and I mean some of the cameos were just awful and terrible they were kind of badly woven into the plot kind of like a Disney plus show into the MCU which is not very good but now they've leaned heavily into the romance capital R familiar feelings that the TNG cast and crew bring so I will say this I've watched a couple reviews out there and read a couple things like non-spoiler reviews this this week and even some today. And I, I will say this, I'm not going to hold your hand and take you through each scene. I see a lot of reviews do that. And I just don't like that. I know what the episode ha- entails. I know what's happened. You've watched it. I've watched it. You know, you're a brilliant listener. You know what to do. You know what to look for. And that's why you're listening to OPP. So we're not going to hold your hand. We're going to get right into the analysis my favorite parts, uh, favorite scenes, kind of the relationships and how it was fleshed out this episode. Also, we have some interesting theories and some fun stuff like that. Also highlighting some Easter eggs. So it's just overall a really great 
intro to reviews on the OPP. But without further ado, Luna, let's light this candle. So my first thoughts and impressions of episode one, The Next Generation, is that they did a really good job of fan servicing. You know, they everything from the little title sequences down to the credit scenes, you know, Terry Milatis, who you can definitely tell he has a deep respect and understanding for the next generation. And he's infused a lot of scores and, and fonts from the show and the movies. And he's, I mean, he's paying into that deposit of fan servicing, which I don't mind if it's done well and it was done well. I will say this, the most disappointing aspect of the episode was that I kind of didn't get to see a Next Generation reunion, even when the episode is so aptly named The Next Generation. I mean, it was like going to a store called Candy Town and walking in and seeing they only sell kitchen utensils and then there's two jars of jelly beans. You know, I feel like I was sold a different bill of goods, so to say. And I mean, to me, I didn't like that because I was, as the episode kind of going in about 30 minutes in, I started watching the clock to be like, hey, like, are they actually going to be able to bring in anybody else? Like by surprise, like it's war for LaForge or I don't know, I guess with the hype of, hey, this is a TNG reunion and the episode being named The Next Generation, I thought we were actually going to get everybody in, but that didn't happen, sadly. So um, I will say this, that. I really hope they don't do like a full quote unquote full TNG reunion until like the last episode or some BS like that, you know, where all the plot points converge into one and they're like, all right, the band's back together. Let's go. And it's like, Oh God, I really hope that's not what they do because these characters deserve more than that. Now I will say there is an Avenue that they could do this in, that I would appreciate. And that's almost having a full episode for, you know, LaForge, a full episode for Worf, you know, kind of fleshing those characters out and what they've been doing in the past 30 years. And then at the end of the episode, them hopping in with Picard. I think that'd be perfect and kind of give them the just desserts they deserve. I just hope they don't like try to jam it all in at the very end, like a fat kid into a roller coaster. I think that'd be super cheap and just not what these characters deserve. They're very beloved. And if we just kind of just rush into it at the very end would be very bad. And I could play devil's advocate and say, well, you don't want to rush into it at the very beginning. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. (laughs) I will say this. Outside of that, I was impressed with the writing so far in this episode. And to me, it's all about the little things. And the writers did a really good job of kind of showcasing and telling us aspects about the characters, you know, without bludgeoning us over the head. And one of these is, is definitely between, you know, Riker and Crusher again. And I mean, it was awesome seeing them and those highlights, you know, with uh, Riker in the 10 forward bar in San Francisco. And he has this, like his old Riker attitude, like I'm going to throw my leg over the seat. And, and you see Crusher suddenly becoming this action star. Speaking of like Crusher and Action Star, the very opening sequence, did anybody else get Fallout 3 vibes? 
I mean, it was like, I thought I had my little like pit boy ready to go. But no, all, all joking aside, that opening action sequence was really well done. And I liked how they kind of showed right from the get-go, look, we haven't seen Crusher since Nemesis, and look how much she's evolved over the past couple decades. And again, they weren't really over the top about it. And they did that with Crusher in kind of a subtle way. And then another example is when Riker and Picard are kind of walking through the ship and they recreate the fight, you know, with the evidence and looking at the ashes and the phaser burns. Riker calls pretty much the kill move. He goes, oh, that's cool. And Picard chimes in, that's not the Beverly I know. So just like little, you know, writing dialogue like that, which to me are really natural in the scene, allow the audience to be aware of it. And hey, these aren't the same people anymore. And I feel like watching interviews and they're really wanting to portray that to the audience. Hey, these aren't the same characters that you saw, you know, in Nemesis or you saw for seven seasons on The Next Generation. Which to me is an exciting part of this whole reunion experiment is where has the TNG crew been, how they've changed. I mean, it's kind of like running into an old friend from high school when you make a quick run into Walmart or Target. I mean, sometimes it's great catching up, and sometimes it's sad, just like Discovery. Yeah, Luna, I don't like Discovery. I know. <laughs> Luna the intern, everybody. And also, we see this again, that the writers do these like little like nuances and quick you know, tropes, is that in the 10 forward bar... Riker asks the bartender, why do you have so many like Enterprise D ships? Why haven't people been buying these for the celebrations? And she she responds, oh, the fat ones? Nobody wants those. And that kind of just shows me, wow, you know, like the world's kind of really moved past this TNG crew. Um, Oh, and really quick before I go on. So speaking of 10 forward, Guinan will actually not appear in season three. I didn't know if you guys knew about that, but yeah. So Really quick, sorry to pull this out, but going back in. So it's to me, this the heroic deeds done on the Federation's flagship have been humbled down to, quote unquote, the fat ones. And I mean, I think that's a valuable lesson on life. Nothing really lasts forever. And something that has stood the test of time and that we see here is the friendship between Riker and Picard that we see in this first episode. So we see... The world's moved on. These characters have changed. But as more things change, more things stay the same. So again, we see the little Riker and Picard. Their chemistry is right back where it was. Even the little things, again, going back to the little things, Luna, um, that's what she said. It's like Riker accidentally calling Picard captain and him saying, oh, it's a force of habit. And it, I mean, to me, it's like the chemistry just picks up automatically. It's like they never left the ready room of the Enterprise D. They just instantly pick it up. And we really didn't get to see that too much, in my opinion, in the other seasons with Riker, but it was really good to see now. And so I just really think that Frax and Stewart fell back into the role seamlessly and it made my Trek heart grow three times. <laughs> I mean, especially in like the shuttle pod on the way to the Titan. You know, I think all of them were highlights of the episode to me. And probably will be highlights of the season going forward. I'm I'm excited that that relationship is getting some attention and being fleshed out. Just the two of them. However, speaking of Picard and Riker aboard the Titan, can we talk about this? Good gosh, 
uh, Captain Liam Shaw, I, I just want to punch that man in the face the entire episode. I was like, you know, I just want to kick you right, right where the sun don't shine. <laughs> is that is that an old thing or what? I don't know. Sorry. Um, and I mean, if the writers wanted us to have that reaction, well, good freaking job because they succeeded. And I mean, it just was everything. It was just the disrespect to, the, I mean, our beloved characters, Seven, Picard, and Riker. He just was a huge, like, jackass. Okay, so what did he do, Luna? Just a quick recap. Um, so first off, and these are things that like makes you like a terrible person in general, not just because they're these beloved characters and he's treating badly, but just makes you a dick. Like if you did this to your next door neighbor or you did this to a coworker, you'd be a jerk. Like for example, he invites him to dinner and then he doesn't wait to eat for them. And he's, he's just eating his blue steak, which not going to touch that. Is it a Smurf? Is it not? Who knows? Anyway, and then Picard gives him a gift. Hey, this is for my personal vineyard. And he's like, nah, I like the other stuff. Also, kind of probably the biggest issue that I have with, with Shaw is that he makes Seven go by her human name of Annika Hansen. And I was like, what kind of dick move is that? Like, you're going to, in lack of a better term, dictate what your officers are going to be called and I'm getting, and we'll talk about this too in the next point, a Borg issue? I don't know. But to me, with my coworkers, friends, whoever, I don't care what you want to be called. If you want to be called Zipty Zimzer, I'll call you that. Because, you know, that's being a respectable human being. You know, not some, like, dill hole. Anyway, so... <laughs> speaking of dill hole, it's a funny word. Anyway, so speaking of Picard's past, he brings it up and throws him in the face. Hey, like... You like pretty much you were once Borg. I don't. I don't want Annika Hansen to go by her Borg designation. He definitely has a super mistrust with the Borg, and I think he's just a grade A butthole. So we'll see what happens. This is a good point, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. Okay, was Shaw kind of right to treat them this way? Now hear me out. I, if you're driving. Listening at work, you might be rioting, but just listen to me. Was Shaw right to treat them this way? So think about this. He he definitely comes off as a jerk to Picard and, and Riker at dinner. And to me, I think that Shaw knew something was up. You have this super famous retired admiral, and you have this the once captain of your ship come do a surprise inspection. I mean, it's, it's just smells funny. You know, he probably has other captain friends and they're like, no, we're not getting inspections. This is weird. And plus I, I think it's to be fair, like this whole thing, the plan was to essentially steal the Titan and a shuttlecraft. And it was going to divert its way out of Federation space. When they presented that to Shaw, he objected to it. Picard and Riker did it anyway. And Seven actually like disobeyed orders, destroyed her career, and did it anyway. On top of that, Picard and Riker are lying the entire time to Seven, to everybody. And then Seven eventually has to be like, no, tell me the truth. What's really going on? And of course, we know their hearts are in the right place. I agree with them. They're trying to, you know, do all this to save Beverly Crusher. Was Shaw's fury justified? I don't know. I think especially, you know, towards seven, it was because 
she betrayed her captain, quote unquote, out of friendship for these old her old friends. And I, I know the writers and everybody were all on the side of Picard and Riker for sentimental reasons, you know, we're for trying to save Beverly, all that. And Shaw is not a likable guy for all the reasons I just mentioned. But is Shaw actually in the right here? And Picard and Riker in the wrong? I I think I think yes and no. You know, I could see both both sides of the coin there. However, I will say that Shaw's behavior is something's up. So he has deep resentment. Like I mentioned before with the Borg, there's deep resentment, deep animosity towards how he feels towards Picard and Riker. I mean, even before like Shanghaiing and hijacking the ship, he just doesn't like them. They've never met before. We know that by, you know, the dialogue. He doesn't really have any issues with any events or, you know, history with them from the TNG show or Star Trek Picard prior season. So it's something about them that clearly upsets him. Maybe we'll get a preview of that in future episodes. Maybe not. We'll just have to see. I mean, there's a reason he's mad, and I get that, but it's like on steroids. Like, okay, you can be mad, but you're being a dick. I know, Luna, it's a family show. (laughs) But still, maybe we'll see in future episodes. So we're going to move on to, like, the Titan... And seven. So this USS Titan A, it's this new gleaming Constitution three class starship. And I think it was an awesome Trek moment. You know, we got to see her in all her beauty and grace, you know, kind of remind me of Star Trek, the, the first motion picture, you know, but this time it didn't last like 10, 12 minutes. Um, but it was a beautiful score. And, and fun fact, that's actually a new score for the show that they wrote for the Titan. So maybe we're going to be seeing the Titan some more. I don't know, but I will have to admit they're they're really nailing the scores and the music so far for this show. Really over the top. I really have enjoyed it. Also, we we kind of learned a little bit more about Seven in this episode. She's finally in Starfleet, and she says that it was actually because Captain Janeway and Picard convinced her to get into it. Now, if you all the big OPP fans out there, if you remember from a news and bruise a couple months ago. Um, the IDW comic showed Janeway petitioning Starfleet to let Seven join after they returned from the Alpha Quadrant. Starfleet said no. So obviously something has changed here. <laughs> the fact that they're convincing her to join Starfleet. So maybe, you know, after all the heroics and stuff like that from the last couple seasons, they're like, okay, you're good enough now. Which I I don't know if I would join under that aspect because you didn't want me before simply because I was Borg and now... You do want me because I showed you even more over 20 years? Either way. Are the writers being cheeky with us? So think about think about this. So the name of the, the episode is called The Next Generation. You know, and we have all this media and press about pointing to this huge reunion. And we're going to get that. But why name the first episode The Next Generation? When clearly... They know all the characters aren't going to have a big reunion this episode. And I'm thinking, are they setting up a potential spinoff? Who is the next generation? Could it be seven? Who knows? We'll get into it. We'll definitely get into it. We'll talk about the bombshell of Beverly Crusher's son. He definitely plays into this theory of maybe some part of the next generation Picard's son, possibly. We'll get that into this episode in a couple minutes. But it's just a thought. 
it's just a thought. So like I said, I, as we wrap up seven here, I really did like how she <laughs> disobeyed Captain Shaw's orders, you know, and took the Titan to the Ryan Rayton system. Gosh, my Kentucky Appalachian education. Um, and I just think that that was kind of nice to see because you, you see her kind of wrestling with Picard, like, Hey, I don't like having these orders and going against my instincts. And Picard's like, welcome to the club. That's normal. (laughs) Um, if you find an answer, let me know. So I think with seven, she couldn't deal with that. She's like, I'm not going to go against my instincts anymore. I'm going to, you know, disobey. I'm going to not follow the rules and she's going to help out an old friend. And, you know, she's risking her career or, you know, said goodbye to her career, but I think that's okay because I see her stepping into her formal self that we saw from the last two seasons. So I like that. It was a kind of a good character arc, flesh out a little bit. So I will say this going into this next segment. So far, I really had no issue with Picard, um, the Next Generation episode, until we get to Rafi. And I know a lot of people love Rafi out there. Don't be mad but I hate this storyline and plot. Like to me, this feels like an episode arc, you know, three or C on a normal Star Trek episode. I mean, I understand the notion, you know, this isn't your granddaddy's Trek. This is, you know, going to be dark. It's going to be real life. And I'm totally cool with that. And seeing like the underbelly of the, the alpha quadrant and we see drug abuse and, like prostitution and partying and all this stuff. I mean, that's fine if it's done right. You know, if it's breaking bad quality, perfect, no problem. But if it was just wasting time, filler, like that's what it was to me, very poorly done. In this episode, she's kind of communicating with Starfleet Intelligence. She's an undercover agent trying to find out who the ra- this red lady is. I kept thinking of Wendy's. And Dave Thomas puns, but <laughs> I know, I know they're terrible jokes, Luna. I know. And as of course, we see this like inner portal uh, weapon being used. I just feel like they were just writing her to move the plot along. So they were like, okay, we're going to have the Picard part, you know, in the seven part of the Titan. And now we're just going to have this thing that's really disconnected from anybody, but it's going to become tied in, you know, in the next couple episodes, maybe. And, uh, eventually we'll probably see the the main cast on the, you know, their old ship. And it just, from the first two seasons of Picard and like, okay, that's eventually where we're going probably because they can't, you know, continually hijack the Titan. But it's just, to me, every time this plot point, every time she was on screen, I was literally counting down until we could get back to the TNG characters. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But to me, this was the weakest plot point of the episode. I just didn't enjoy it. I mean, it served a purpose, but that's it. And people were like, oh, it showed the Orions as drug dealers. I'm like, we kind of already knew that. The Orions freaking did human trafficking in Enterprise. We know we know they're not all the best people, so it really didn't add anything to me. But I digress. So Rafi realized that, you know, hey, this red lady is a crimson-colored statue of Captain Rachel Garrett. And if you're like, who is that? Why are they highlighting her? 
and she was the captain introduced in the TNG classic episode, Yesterday's Enterprise. And Garrick was the doomed captain of the USS Enterprise C, who was lost, you know, in an alternate timeline. That's who she is. Just fun fact out there. Another thing, and this is just something that Trek really highlighted to me, and it's really apparent in this episode. You know, we have so much darkness in this world. We have wars. We have, you know, drug issues. And we have all this awfulness. To me, it's kind of like I really like when sci-fi, you know, comments on the real world. That's when sci-fi is at its best. Absolutely. But when it's not, and it comments poorly on the real world, it just makes it awful. So not only do we not get escapism, we get the like the like the disease of like drug addiction. We get it shoved in our face, but it doesn't like do anything. It doesn't have any comment on the real world. I just feel like they're trying to be edgy just to be edgy. And I don't like that. Like it has to make sense. It has to go well. And maybe it will. Maybe I'm being too rough. You know, it's the first episode. Maybe we'll see this plot point go on. But I want more Breaking Bad and less, you know, treating it nonchalantly. That makes any sense. But this is my opinion. You could disagree with me. Okay, so moving on to probably what everyone's going to be talking about this week after this episode. And if you listen to the Everything You know, Need to Know for Picard Season 3 episode a couple weeks ago, you know, I kind of already touched on this idea of a potential love triangle coming into the season. And I even at the very beginning, Picard admits, you know, they tried, but, you know, to no avail. And just like I said before, it's like the little things in this episode that we pick up on that the writers have done a really good job about. And so besides, you know, those Fallout 3 vibes at the beginning of the episode, those were actually a set of love songs that John Luke made Beverly. And that's what we hear. And she still listens to them decades later. I mean, that's like me listening to a mix CD from like my 2005 girlfriend, you know, from like sophomore year. I mean, yeah, the music might be good, but could there be something more? Maybe they're hinting at something more. I don't know. But to me, I think that's, um, I think they put that in cleverly for Beverly. That rhymes. <laughs> anyway, also we learned something new and that Beverly just took 20 years off and didn't communicate with everyone. She just like fell off the map. And I think we know why now. She had another son who looks about 20 years old. <laughs> Could this be a love child between Picard and Crusher? I mean, I know I'm getting Wrath of Khan vibes. You know, with this long-lost son reappearing. This is an Easter egg. I don't know if many people picked up on this. But this is why OPP is the best analysis out there. So the opening title card of the episode says, In the 25th century. This just didn't tell us when the show took place, but it's a direct homage to how the title card from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, appeared. Only in that film has a title card appeared in the 23rd century. And even the font is the same. So with that Easter egg, and then now we know this sudden, you know, reappearance of a potential love child, this 
could be Picard's and Beverly's lost love child. And that, to me, justifies why Beverly would just take off and not talk to anybody. Maybe she's embarrassed. Maybe she doesn't want to make it complicated. Maybe she doesn't want to inhibit Picard. Maybe she has, you know, trust issues with her, with Jack passing away. I don't know. But with the Wrath of Khan Easter Egg, I mean, this is a major canon-altering bombshell for Picard Season 3. But to me, it also makes sense. Like, they made the logic out on the show, too, like, you know, somebody had to really care for her to put her in the medical pod. He's like, I'm her son. But it does explain why Beverly, like, kind of ensured he was safe by taking on the marauders by her lonesome. You know, like, she just took them all by herself and didn't let her son fight with her. So that also kind of backs up, like, what the kid is saying. I mean, ultimately, we need to know, like, the question of the father and, and the writers, and they're all setting us up to believe it's Picard. I mean, even the kids kind of speaks with a British accent, you know? Could he be the most British Frenchman's son? Who knows? I will say this, with with John Luke being the father, comes with some logical issues as well, because the question arises of when he could have fathered him, you know? if I guess if they got romantic after Nemesis, and also the ages of Beverly and Picard, too, Um, having a son together raises a lot of questionable um, logistics as well. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, the kid could be lying, you know, whatever. But I definitely think maybe not, and especially that sweet Wrath of Khan title card Easter egg, maybe they're pointing to something there. Who knows? Who knows? But So as part of our last segment, we're going to talk about the Easter eggs, and, you know, any other theories that we have, and we have some really humdingers too. So let's get into it. So as part of the closing credits, we see this like warship of unknown origin come out. And it kind of looks like that Borg-Romulan hybrid, you know, ship that was like captained by Nero, the Narada. But I mean, it just, it gave me that vibes. I don't know if we're going to be doing a lot of timeline altering stuff this season. Hopefully not. Also, in the closing credits, we see there's a lot of references to DNA. And I think, to me, that could be maybe in response to the lineage of Jack Crusher and and potentially this new son. Who knows? I mean, especially near the end, one references Picard DNA base pairs. Maybe a paternity test is coming. I don't know. It is sure interesting that the dude that played the son, credit comes up during that very sequence. So we'll have to see. But the next one is something I heard of in an article I read that I was like, oh, this is too good not not to share. Because normally I don't like to regurgitate, you know, what I've heard. This is my my opinion and my like viewpoint. But I'm like, oh, this is a good one. So in the closing credits, we see sheet music come up. And of course, you know, I played saxophone in middle school and stuff. And so this author says that the notes that are shown could be one of two things the one is his random notes who cares and the other notes is he goes look i read sheet music and that is pop goes the weasel now for my big star trek fans out there which i know there are a lot of you listening all over the world you go what's the relevance of pop goes the weasel well if you remember the very first episode or two of the next generation the farpoint mission Riker goes to look for data in the holodeck and data's whistling pop goes the weasel 
and that's when they first met. So, could this be a reference to Data, to Lore? I mean, we know Lore is in the show, but could this be a reference to Data? I don't know. Could be wrong. We're, we're grasping at straws with the sheet music in the credit scene. Um, also, we see a lot of... Um, there's a head with dots, orange and blue, that are flashing. And to me, that's just a positronic matrix. You know, it's definitely referencing, you know, data, lore, you know, this kind of soon produced Android synthetic, Picard synthetic, but yeah, we don't really talk about that. <laughs> anyway, so I think they're definitely setting up with this Android lore data reference coming up so and we know that from like the promotional materials he will be in the show um also uh, a lot of dr crusher's belongings we see aboard the medical vessel the elos we see the comedy and tragedy mask you know kind of references when beverly was running the acting class on enterprise d and then also we see a lot of her orchids which was something that we've seen a lot in tng in her quarters um, in the episode cause and effect. And also there's a large case with the belongings of her de- deceased husband, Jack Crusher, you know, which she brought out of the storage in the TNG episode family. Also, we see her, like we see a plaque honoring her service and saving the planet Corcala five from a deadly plague. And again, that's the third season of TNG episode allegiance. Most importantly though, it was an old Enterprise D computer console, which is playing Captain Picard's log entry from the episode The Best of Both Worlds, you know, where they kind of face the Boar Collective again. Oh, and let's not forget the best Easter egg of all, the freaking flute. We see the flute again. <laughs> I love that flute. Anyway, those are all the Easter eggs. I mean, there's like videos and articles out there like 99 Easter eggs or 120 Easter eggs. And I'm like... Let's just give you the top ones that I saw and dug up on and I really enjoyed. So we'll we'll see. I definitely see maybe a Borg lore data Android theme in these. And of course, you know, the, the con theme of, hey, we might be getting a new uh rehash of con. I just I just hope they don't do the they do what Star Wars did and just rehash the first Star Wars movie. Like, I, I hope they actually don't make this into a whole, like, Wrath of Khan thing where you have a villain from a random episode come back and then you have the long-lost son is there and then somebody's going to die and then they may be brought back to life through a weird, you know, program or something. I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case. But that has been the review for Picard Season 3, Episode 1, The Next Generation. Luna, let's bring us home. Overall, I will say that I'd give the episode maybe a 6.8 out of 10. They definitely had some good for, like good moments and had some warm, fuzzy Trek moments that made my heart grow and pitter-patter and I loved. And they played perfect homage and the writing was brilliant. But the fact that, you know, I kind of let down personally, and my, maybe that was my expectations personally coming from like, not having an actual reunion in this episode outside of, you know, Crusher at the very end. Um, I love the Easter egg of potentially having another son and the romantic problem that comes in with Picard's new romance. And now he has a family. So we'll, we'll see. 
but yeah, the Rafi part is really what sunk that what sunk that uh, score real low to six point eight. So we'll see. I think it's going to be interesting to see. We don't know where we're going with this season yet. There's definitely a lot of action sequences, but it's it's definitely being very cared for. It's not being shoot at the hip, trying to change the characters outside of what they could be, which I do enjoy. But we shall see. In other news, though, please check out jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com for all of your entertainment and blogging needs, as well as you can find us on all social media at Omega Particle Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're on it all. Please hang out. I love hearing from you guys. Some of your comments make my absolute week and month, so thank you for that. Remember to take care of yourselves out there. We're getting into the spring weather. Keep up that mental health. Make sure you keep those crowns on, kings and queens. And always remember, second star of the right, straight on to morning.